0: hello and welcome to the gestalt it rundown today is june 29th 2022 and it is national camera day Uh, my name is tom hollingsworth and i'm here to give you a picture of the news as we've seen it uh, for the last few days Um, joining me is my ever photogenic co-host mr stephen foskett stephen welcome back
1: it's good to be here apparently it's also national waffle maker day
0: You know what, you should take a picture of the waffles that you make. That way you can kind of have the best of both worlds. Uh, But we have a a great lineup of stories. I know it's been a few weeks since Stephen and I have been back uh, together doing this uh, due to a lot of events going on. We've got a lot of great stories coming up, so let's take it away.
1: Thanks, Tom. Uh, as you know, uh, AMD is the latest company to have a large cache of data stolen by attackers. This week, the new group, uh, Random House, popped up onto the scene – no, it's not the publisher – to claim that they were holding 450 gigabytes of data stolen from the chipmaker back in January. Uh, Random House claims that they don't write the malware or invade the systems. They're simply a mediator asking for payment, so they'll release the data. Uh, Industry analysts like Catalan Campanu suggested that perhaps Random House simply purchased the data from a failed ransomware scheme and is trying to profit off their investment. What's going on here, Tom?
0: Well, the fact that we've never heard of this crew before, and they have 450 gigs of what looks essentially like just collected data... Um, makes me wonder exactly where it did come from. Now, they're used to doing the usual ransomware attacker type thing where they're prodding the company like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't give your passwords as password, which is probably the reason why they were able to collect so much data. But um, based on what Cal and Campano said, this is actually a a little bit more of a worrisome trend for me. Uh, Normally, what we see, especially when you look at some of the ones that we've had to deal with earlier in the year from some of those uh, outfits that, like we're ransoming the NVIDIA source code. Uh, they got in, they stole it through various means, and they were holding on to it, trying to get paid. If this is, in fact, a crew that maybe is technically savvy, but less business minded, that stole it and then couldn't figure out how to make money off of it because AMD just didn't want to pay, and they passed it over to a new group of people who are maybe less technically minded, but more criminally adept, um, and they figure out how to make this pay, we could see an entire like middle layer of effectively case management people show up, be like, hey, listen, if you do all the hard work, we'll get the money and we'll pay you for what you've done. And that effectively does turn this into an enterprise, which has really shocking ramifications for me, because that means that we're basically kind of saying this is going to persist forever, as opposed to being these kind of um, you know one-off events that companies hope they were never really faced with. So fingers crossed that AMD doesn't pay, but more importantly, that, um, you know, we see people like Random House kind of randomly go off and never come back. Well, Stephen, HPE has announced a raft of storage services in Green Lake, including block storage, backup and recovery, and disaster recovery. Now, we did get a sneak peek of the latter, which is based on the Zerto technology at Cloud Field Day last week. Stephen, what's behind all of these new announcements by
1: HPE? Well, I think this is a uh, the culmination of what was announced at HPE Discover a few years ago. Um, I was there actually when uh, Antonio Neri announced that everything HP sells would be available as uh, GreenLake as a service. And uh, Neri says that this is it; everything that they sell is now available as GreenLake as a service. I think that's pretty awesome, honestly. Uh, GreenLake is very popular with uh, customers who are looking to move to more of a uh, operational expense basis. And, frankly, uh, moving to GreenLake has prodded HPE to do a lot of work in terms of upgrading and integrating and um, operationalizing, if that's a word, all of their products. So, honestly, this is a win for everybody involved, even if you're not a GreenLake user. Uh, As you mentioned, we did get a sneak preview of the disaster recovery as a service from Zerto at Cloud Field Day, and we'll include a link to that video, which was just published uh, in the show notes. Uh, But this also includes some other things, including uh, backup and recovery of uh, uh, as-a-service clouds, including uh, EC2 and EBS volumes, which is strangely not based on Zerto. Uh, It also includes uh, storage uh, based on the Primera and Nimble storage arrays, uh, compute ops management, uh, data fabric based on their Ezmeral uh, technology as well as HCI and payments. So this is a big set of GreenLake offerings. And I think that the right way to look at this is, as I said at the top, this is HPE delivering on the promise that they had that GreenLake was gonna be everywhere. Well, GreenLake's everywhere. Tom, uh, turning back to security, uh, former Security Field Day presenter Tempered Networks is now part of Johnson Controls. Uh, Tempered, which utilizes the host identity protocol to create private network communications, uh, is a novel implementation of the zero-trust architecture. It's uh, slated to become part of Johnson Control's OpenBlue platform. OpenBlue is one of the leading building control platforms to manage lighting, HVAC, and IoT devices. Uh, Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed, but Tom, um, why would Johnson Controls want Tempered Networks?
0: I don't know, because light bulbs and HVAC control systems and every other part of the building is now um, enabled to talk to things, and sometimes you don't want stuff to talk to things. You know, Well, let's go back and look at some of the apocryphal stories that we've heard about how a casino was hacked through the aquarium temperature monitor and how um, every HVAC system that I've ever been a part of is basically wide open to the Internet because nobody knows how to control those things. Now, let's also think about the fact that IoT devices are not capable of running some of these extremely complicated zero trust network architecture systems where there's like, you know, host identity authorization and all this other stuff. They're, they're really dumb devices when you think about it. Yeah, they, they have processors in them, but they're not running the latest quad core chips from Intel and AMD. They're running an ARM unit that is powered just enough to get the device to work, which means all of the tricks that you have to do to secure them should happen in the protocol level not in the CPU. Well, then that means tempered networks actually has a really good way to do that. So when we got to see them back at security field day three, it was actually kind of interesting because essentially what they're doing is they are isolating these devices by using specific uh, host protocol uh, packets that basically make this invisible. The technology is called Airwall. And like we, we, we played around with it actually in the demo where we were able to like, Connect a phone and a laptop through Airwall, but if you weren't on that network, you couldn't see anything. So imagine if you're Johnson Controls, you can walk into a building environment and you can completely isolate HVAC. You can completely isolate the building lighting system, and not just that. Like you can log into the the console and only see the building lights, but like if someone is able to, I don't know, somehow. Uh, violate the HVAC system. They can't cross the the streams over into the POS uh, units or anything like that. I mean, this is great, um, and honestly, it's kind of a great exit for Tempered because in a world where everybody has a zero trust solution and all of them look just slightly different from each other, it was kind of curious to see where a company like Tempered was going to be able to kind of make some ground up to create a foothold. Essentially, I think. Exiting into the IoT space is actually a brilliant move for them because their solution is well geared for that. And I honestly think that IoT is going to be a very large growing segment of the industry probably for the next 10 years, if not more. And this gives them you know, kind of a, a good partner to run with in Johnson Controls. All right, Stephen, uh, we're going to go back to another HPE story because uh, they've entered an arms race. Uh, because the ProLiant server is now running uh, Ampere's Ultra ARM CPUs. The ProLiant RL Gen 11 will offer both the Ultra, which has up to 80 cores, and the Ultra Max, which tops out at 128 cores. It's going to be a single socket server. Uh, for those 128 cores, which is kind of impressive. Um, This is the first time that a tier one vendor has offered Ampere's processors and what's one of the first ARM servers to be directed at mainstream enterprise customers. Now, I know we've talked about Ampere in the past, but we've always talked about it in relation to clouds. So Steven, does this mean it's time for ARM in the enterprise?
1: Well, this is a really interesting announcement because indeed we have a company that's best known for selling into the enterprise here Offering a uh, ARM-based server uh, for the first time. Um, it's just it's just really really cool. Uh, that being said, of course this isn't the first ARM server. Uh, it's not even the first Ampere Ultra or Ultra Max server. There's plenty of them. What's different here is that this is HPE. This is the company that supplies the enterprise, and so it's really cool to see ARM entering the enterprise in this way. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, they're uh, going to offer the the Ultra and the Ultra Max. Uh, Note that this is not the new Ampere processor that we talked about at the beginning of June. This is in fact uh, the previous generation, but it's still a pretty cool processor and it's one that you'll find in a lot of clouds, including Azure. Um, That being said, uh, it's likely that very few enterprises are gonna be snapping this thing up. It doesn't have a lot of the uh, features that you'd expect from an enterprise server and it does have things like OCP slots that you'd expect from a cloud optimized server. And in fact, the customer that HPE announced that's picking up this server is actually Cloud Sigma, a cloud provider uh, in you know, Europe. So there's a lot of uh, you know, relevance here in terms of, of cloud, but it remains to be seen whether enterprises are going to be interested in this. Uh, One final thing that I'll note is that if you are interested, this is available as part of the GreenLake offering. So it's possible that uh, enterprises could dip their toes in the ARM server market through GreenLake and deploy some kind of scale-out software-defined solution on this thing. And um, heck, that's actually a really good use for this hardware. So it's exciting. Another story that we previously visited on the rundown, Tom, is IBM's uh, age discrimination lawsuit. The case is based on email exchanges between former CEO Ginny Romady and uh, former senior vice president of HR, Diane Gerson, that dealt with laying off older workers and replacing them with younger ones. The trial is expected to start next month, but IBM has decided to avoid that by just settling with the defendant. This is the second time IBM has settled a case for age discrimination in two years. Uh, Tom, is IBM trying to hide the fact that they're changing their workforce? They're not doing a very good job of it if they are.
0: I must start this story with the disclaimer. I formerly worked at i b m as an intern twenty over twenty years ago at this point. um but here's the deal i b m has always been seen as the the laggard, if you will uh in the industry. They were full of you know older folks, even when I worked there as an intern in college. I was kind of one of the upstarts, if you will. Um, And a bunch of older folks who still remember like OS 2 warp and blue lightning and mainframes and you kids and your Linux and your PCs, I don't understand how you're going to get by in this industry. And now 20 years later, a generation removed, we're talking about getting rid of some of those folks who were just starting when I was there in favor of hip new millennials. Um, so first of all, and this is a, a cautionary tale for anybody out there, never send an email that you do not want to have read aloud in court. Because that's exactly what happened here is that this trove of emails from Jenny Romney was kind of leaked to some media companies. And oh my God, they literally said the quiet part out loud. She, Jenny Romney flat out told Diane Gerson, fire some of these old people and get us some millennials. Like you can't be more blatant than that. And again, this is the second time. The first time in 2020, they settled a lawsuit that was two years old at that point because the court subpoenaed Jenny Romney's emails. And they're like, nope, 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 we're going to pay. So it, it, it's a bad look. It really is. You, you already have this stigma, if you will, of being a company that is kind of out of touch with technology. Um, all the red hats in the world, all the kindrels in the world aren't going to save you if everybody thinks that you're the old fuddy-duddies that don't understand how this new cloud thing works and how all this new software as a service stuff works. So what's your solution? Oh, wait, I know. We're going to fire all of those people and we're going to hire new people. Um, Okay, if that's your plan, that's great, but don't be so blatant about it. Don't fire them because they're old. Fire them because times are changing or or some other thing. Just make up a reason. Don't don't say that in an email that can be subpoenaed and then read aloud in court, and then you get embarrassed and it costs your company millions of dollars, because that's probably what this is going to end up costing them. And guess what? If you've already settled one and you just settled another, you're probably going to have another one coming out pretty soon. So uh, good luck to IBM. Uh, may the odds be ever in your favor. Um, good luck. All right, Stephen, we had a couple of big stories that came out uh, this week that we wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at. Um, the first one is actually kind of an interesting take on things, uh, and I'm hoping that you're ready to add some commentary to it, because uh, VMware has finally released more public details about something they were calling Project Arctic. Um, it will now be known as vSphere+. Plus. The sum total of this project is that companies want to run VMware on-premises, but manage it in the cloud. Hmm. In a move that looks shockingly like Amazon's outpost, vSphere Plus allows you to add vSphere instances as a service and manage them from one central location. Imagine that. Sounds great, right? Well, there are a couple of caveats. Uh, The first one is that vSphere Plus and vSAN Plus, which is the storage component, can't manage instances that are running in the cloud. Well, that kind of destroys that whole notion of hybrid cloud that VMware has been building up for the last few years, right? The second little caveat, we don't know how much it's going to cost. VMware has not publicly announced the pricing of this service yet. They said that they will do that whenever it's finally released sometime after July, the end of July, which is the end of their fiscal Q2. So I would expect that we're probably going to hear what the pricing of this is somewhere around uh, VMware Explorer, which is the new name for VMworld. Um, Steven, does vSphere Plus add up to you?
1: Yeah, I think this is an interesting story because it it actually reminds me a little bit of the whole uh, HPE GreenLake story, to be honest. Um, Essentially, what we've got here is VMware uh, following up on their promise from Project Arctic, which they announced, I think, last year, where they said that they were going to make everything cloud managed and basically bring the whole cloud concept into the data center. Well, that's what they've done here. So you've got vSphere Plus and vSAN Plus. And the plus is not added functionality really, it's added manageability. In other words, uh, customers can now uh, sign up and use uh, vSphere and vSAN on a SaaS style basis, using cloud management, uh, except uh, that it's all in their own data center. Uh, This could be absolutely nuts, or it could be absolutely awesome, depending on, I guess, how it turns out and what customers think of this. I mean, on the one hand, customers are definitely excited to move to the cloud and to move to cloud management, and you know we we've talked about this quite a lot on on various uh, Gestalt IT platforms, including recently on the on-premise IT podcast, where we talked about the fact that the cloud isn't just a matter of uh, some APIs or a consumption model. The cloud is really sort of how you use it, and I think that. What we're seeing here is the fact that enterprises are finally realizing that, um, you know, the cloud isn't just a state of mind, the cloud doesn't mean that we have to move everything to Amazon, the cloud is basically next generation IT. And if we can have automation and integration and APIs and an as a service model and provisioning and uh, scalability and all these things that we love about the cloud, and if we can have that on premises, well, that really helps. Uh, I do want to make a line here between this and uh, something like Outpost, though, in that really vSphere Plus and vCN Plus are the cloud without the cloud. This does not seamlessly integrate with vSphere in the cloud or any kind of you know public cloud services or anything. This is uh, manage on-premises vSphere and vSAN using the cloud. So it's a very different approach, and that's why I say it could be absolutely nuts because customers could take a look at this and say no, or they could take a look at it, like I said, and, and embrace it. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? Are they going to embrace this?
0: I don't know why they would. Like, like, and and for for all it, just to be fair, I did record a conversation that posted last week that says hybrid cloud is dead, and that was before I knew about vSphere Plus, and I, now I learned about vSphere Plus, and I'm I'm still thinking hybrid cloud is dead. And here's the reason why. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. This is a line in the sand. Amazon Outpost is running Amazon workloads in a rack that Amazon put in your data center. So in effect, it's, it's like GreenLake. You are renting Amazon's hardware, running Amazon workloads somewhere where you control the power, right? What VMware has effectively done is they have moved vCenter into the cloud. Like I granted, there's a lot more to it that like all the connections and stuff like that, but that's effectively what you're doing. Like I'm, 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 I, I want to dig into the story a little bit more um, simply because I want to know what the difference is between running vSphere plus other than the, the, the way you pay for it and just hosting a vCenter server in an AWS instance. Like, like what, what, what am I gaining from this? And I'm sure that there are technological details, but the biggest problem for me is that if you've been listening to VMware through project, uh, whatever the project is that is running vSphere in the cloud, um, it's not Tanzu, it's something else. um, the, the, The crux of what they're saying is, well, if you want to run it in the cloud, you really should be using VMware because you know us and you trust us. Now it's, if you really want to run VMware in the cloud, or if you really want to run the cloud, you really should be using vSphere because you know it and you trust it. You just can't manage it from this portal, which we're trying to sell you. You're going to have to manage it from our old portal, which we'll sell you. And I'm sure there's a line item somewhere in there that says eventually these functionalities will be merged together in version 1.5 or or whatever it is by the end of the year, by the middle of next year, whatever. The problem is, is that you came out of the gate not giving customers the amount of functionality that they want right now. If it's still two ships in the night and I still have to manage it like two ships in the night, then effectively I have to make a decision down the road, which one of these am I going to support? Am I going to keep everything on-prem and continue to buy hardware and continue to rent my management system from you? Am I going to move it all to the cloud and I don't have to buy hardware anymore, but I continue to pay you a pretty penny? Or do I cut the Gordian knot and just run everything on an AWS or Azure instance and not pay VMware a dime? I know which one Broadcom would like to hear, I know which one VMware would like to hear. I don't think it's the one the customers are going to tell them. All right, Stephen, we have another story. It's kind of exciting because it literally just came out, like the embargo just lifted. Because the artificial intelligence community is buzzing about the just released ML Commons ML Perf Training 2.0 results, which were just announced like, right now, Uh, NVIDIA, Intel, Habana, Google, and Graphcore all submitted at least partial results, and everyone is crowing about their performance as usual. NVIDIA is the only one to cover the entire field and has a strong showing, despite relying on their A100 GPUs. Intel's Habana Gaudi 2 also shows great performance per watt in the test that they submitted, with Graphcore Bow IPU and Google TPU V4 trailing somewhat. All right, Stephen, that was a lot of product names and things like that. I want you to help me make a little bit of sense out of all of this ML training hardware and its performance.
1: Yeah, and this is something I have to say first. Thank you so much, uh, David Cantor and the ML Commons community. David was an AI Field Day delegate and is a friend of of us here at Gestalt IT, invited us to the pre-brief. uh, I was also very very happy that uh, Nvidia and Intel, uh, Habana included us in their prebriefs as well, so that we were ready for this story literally that dropped now. So here's the takeaway. So number one, um, kudos, mega kudos to ML Commons for their wonderful ML Perf uh, benchmark. The coolest thing about ML Perf is like all the best benchmarks out there, it's based on real world use cases. And in fact, uh, the MLPerf training actually uses eight different models uh, with different uh, data sets and different approaches. In other words, this is really a way to learn how different systems perform uh, at different tasks. And because of that, it gives you a a great uh, way to evaluate based on the tasks that you're going to perform. That's important to understand because um, One of the aspects of this test is that not everyone has to do every task. And in fact, that's uh, explicitly Intel's approach to machine learning. Intel has a very horses for courses approach in that they say that you should use Habana-Gaudi for this, you can use Habana-Greco for inferencing, you can use Xeon for inferencing, you can use Xeon for training, you can use FPGA, you can use ASIC, you can use GPU with their XE. Intel has a lot of different products covering a lot of different things across the spectrum of AI. Uh, NVIDIA is extremely proud that their uh, A100 and the next generation H100 will be able to basically do everything. Essentially, you can buy an A100-based system, you can run basically any model against it, and it performs great, Um, which is honestly a really great (laughs) go-to-market story for NVIDIA. Uh, Similarly, uh, you've got Graphcore, uh, and, and Intel, uh, uh, Google. Uh, ho- previously, we've seen Huawei. We would, uh, I will just say right now, love to see Cerebrus submit. I'd love to see those numbers. Um, and essentially, each of these uh, platforms is good in some areas and not good in others. And you know what? That's kind of what we expect. Um, it's not a case where we're going to say, uh, Intel sweeps the field or, or or NVIDIA sweeps the field, because that's just not realistic, given the variety of different ML uh, approaches.
0: So Stephen, that actually brings up a question that I have, kind of what you just kind of spread out there about Intel versus NVIDIA. Is this kind of a, a, a commentary on the way that they do their development process? When you think about the way that Intel has historically like very much focused on the way that the chips are built. So they there's a, a marked difference between using FPGAs, using uh, uh, ASICs, using their, their bigger chips and saying, we need you to program for the chips that we put in the devices versus the way that NVIDIA has kind of embraced ARM architecture and said, we're going to make everything ARM, which means it's really good at doing stuff, but maybe not the absolute best at doing this one very specific workload. However, it also means that you don't need to spend hundreds of work hours optimizing your software to do that one thing on that one chip that won't run anywhere else. Whereas you can write more of maybe a a general statement that you can guarantee will run on a lot of the things that we make.
1: Well, this is, uh, first, let me just be clear that this is not an ARM story. In fact, ARM was not involved in this submission. Uh, this is an, an NVIDIA GPU story, um, okay, okay. but given that, let's let's kind of uh, take a look at the the relative merits of these platforms uh, because, as you say, I mean it, it can get really confusing with all these companies with all their different strategies. Um, where's AMD? You know that sort of thing. So let's uh, let's cut into this a little bit. So it absolutely is a corporate strategy thing. Uh, NVIDIA is committed to their GPU approach, which basically is a monolithic uh, set of uh, processing units that can be used to process graphics, uh, to mine you know cryptocurrencies, or to do uh, different ml tasks. And AMD is uh, or, I'm sorry, Nvidia is 100% committed to that vision. I guess AMD is too. Um, Intel on the other hand, is uh, just doesn't have a competitive product in that market. Now the XE looks great but not great enough to bump off uh, the next generation, NVIDIA H100. So essentially what we've got is NVIDIA here has a uh, lightning in a bottle in terms of the A100, which is the the previous generation, and the H100, which is the next generation. And so they're going to use it for everything. They basically have a Swiss Army knife here, and they're going to use it for everything. Intel, on the other hand, has a whole bag of tools Because frankly, that's what they have. Now, if you're cynical, you could say, yeah, that's because none of their tools are great general purpose tools. And so they have to have a bag of tools to compete with, you know, NVIDIA's Swiss Army knife. And that's kind of true. Uh, But at the same time, it maybe is reflective of what the market needs. So if we think about it, if you only have uh, inferencing to do. Maybe Xeon inferencing is good enough, and even though maybe it costs a little bit more or uses a little bit more power than like an Arm core, if it means that you don't have to go buy an A100 to put in the in the in the the pro server, well then then you saved a ton of money and a ton of power. If all you have to do is training, uh, maybe it makes sense to buy a Gaudi two, which we can see in the the results here. Absolutely performs uh, better than Intel or than NVIDIA A100. Um, maybe that is a better choice than going out there and buying yourself an A100. Uh, you know, you buy a Gaudi two and you throw your training workloads at it, and you save some time and you save some power, and and that's a great solution for that. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different ways of kind of slicing and dicing this. I think that NVIDIA can genuinely go to the market and say, hey our last generation stuff is competitive and our next generation stuff is coming and you should go with NVIDIA. And frankly, that's a compelling story. And not only that, but one of the aspects of the ML perf as well is the scalability of these things. And frankly, NVIDIA's uh, scalable systems absolutely blow away everyone. That's one of the things that we see here is that uh, if you deploy a massive scale NVIDIA cluster, um, you, you, there's almost nothing that can compete with that in pretty much any of the benchmarks. Uh, that being said, how many people really have that? And frankly, Google has something to crow about here too, because both Google and uh, and frankly, uh, Graphcore even, are delivering pretty impressive, massive scalability as well. And in fact, Google beats NVIDIA <laughs> in some of these things because they're able to put just so many TPUs Uh, into the the fight on demand. So really, I think the big takeaway here is number one, it is not a, a horse race that NVIDIA won. NVIDIA is incredibly competitive and has an incredibly compelling product, but they haven't run away from the pack. Number two, if you don't want to go with an NVIDIA ML solution, there are other options, especially if What you're doing are things like BERT or ResNet, in which case you absolutely could look at deploying Habana or Graphcore or Google. Uh, Number three, if you don't want to build a giant infrastructure, you could just use Google's infrastructure. It works great. In fact, you can have supercomputer-level performance on demand uh, with Google, and that's pretty cool. And then number four, I'm just going to say it again, Cerebrus, AMD, we want to see you. Uh, submit to the next generation of MLPerf because, frankly, if the takeaway is you have a lot of choices and and there's different options that are all valid, uh, your options are probably valid too, and you would be at home in the MLPerf community.
0: All right. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for that. We, uh, we appreciate it. And thanks again for, uh, for this great uh, breaking news story. I think this is some exciting stuff that kind of talks about the future of what IT is going to look like. Speaking of which, we have a couple of events that are going on in the next couple of weeks that people are going to want to know about. Uh, the first is actually HP Discover, which is happening right now. Um, it is in Las Vegas at the Sands Convention Center, June uh, 28th through the 30th. So you can tune in, watch live keynotes, uh, hear about some of the great announcements like the ones that we covered up here in the rundown. Uh, if you want to know what's next for Field Day, uh, we actually have a Mobility Field Day, which is coming up June 13th through the 15th. We have a very packed schedule. We have some great, amazing delegates. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can head over to techfieldday.com and uh, check out the lineup and the people who will be there. Um, where we will be next week is back with more great news that will be coming your way. Um, we'll be se- seeing some more stories coming out. I'm sure there's, there's going to be a lot of great technology news that you're going to want to keep up with. In the meantime, uh, Stephen, if people want to check out uh, anything cool that you've been working on, where can they go to find that?
1: Well, you can always find me at gestaltit.com, at fosket on social media, and I'll just give a shout out here on the On-Premise IT podcast where uh We discuss things like this. Also, one more shout out. uh, We did just publish the videos from Cloud Field Day, which was last week. And a couple of these stories brought the Cloud Field Day uh, content in. So uh, do check out the videos from Cloud Field Day. Absolutely. And if you
0: have any news stories that you'd like to see us cover on this a podcast this uh, rundown if you will uh please make sure you tweet at gestalt it and uh, use the hashtag rundown and we'll check those out and add them to the lineup we have a lot of great listeners out there we really appreciate uh you tuning in and following along with us we love doing this we love keeping you up to date on the news with maybe a little bit of a snarky irreverent take on it because hey we can't all be walter cronkite but uh we'll be back next week with more great stories uh on every wednesday around 12 30 eastern time is uh when we publish uh if you want to follow us in your favorite podcast application of choice maybe when you're out for a walk or mowing in your yard uh you can subscribe uh just look for the gestalt it rundown and uh we will deliver new fresh episodes to your inbox every week Uh, for tom hollingsworth and for Stephen foskett thank you very much for tuning in we hope you enjoy the rest of your day and week and we will see you soon
1: we